You're listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. Worship with us on Sundays in Kansas City, or join us in June for our youth and young adult conference called Bold. Amen. Uh, So my big question is this, have you ever felt like you had a season of life that just wasn't turning out like you'd hoped? Like a season of life that things just weren't quite what you had expected when you played movies in your mind of what that season of life would look like, it's not quite the way things are turning out because that's really where Paul is here. Paul is certainly not thinking, I'm gonna end up in this prison cell. He had this hope and expectation that he would go preach in Rome. And when we read Paul, he is always excited about the possibility of going and declaring Christ in Rome. And here he is in this prison cell and he's writing to this church in Philippi, a church that he had started between 10 and 12 years prior. And it's a church that he just loved. It's a church that he just oozes with gratitude towards. And a lot of times when he writes, he's correcting problems, like specifically if you read First and Second Corinthians or something like that. But in the book of Philippians, he's writing to mature believers and he is just writing kind of in spiritual formation, like helping people become mature. But Paul is in a challenging season because inevitably he did not expect that this chained to a prison guard was going to be how this season would turn out. I had a season like this uh, (laughs) in about 2000 to 2002. I had just got on staff at church in Colorado and I had this dream. I had this vision of doing prayer meetings back in Colorado and then going out all over the country and doing youth conferences. And in my brain, they would be thousands of people and And I mean, thousands of kids would get saved and it would be like kids beyond what the eye could see, you know, like teenagers beyond. And I had this idea, it was gonna be amazing. And and so uh, we we began to do some regional conferences and and, and it was a part of my job description. And so I wrote that into my job description as that was one of the things that I was committed to. And so because of that, I kind of had the responsibility to make it happen. And so Dan and Renata and I, and we had a team of people, we began to do these events and our first one in Wyoming went pretty well, uh, and then we decided to do a second one in Phoenix. And uh, even to this day, when I just hear the word Phoenix, I cringe, because it, it, it was a dark season. I'm not saying it was a prison cell chained to a Roman guard, but it was pretty rough. Uh, we, um, I took 24 interns to do a two-day conference in what I thought was going to be thousands of teenagers, and when we got there, we had, I mean, we had loads of chairs. When I found, I started to get the hint, it was going to be smaller than I expected. So we kind of went from, you know, over a thousand to hundreds. And then the conference started, 24 interns. I've flown in speakers. I've flown in worship leaders. I'm I'm imagining in my head this this big event. And we go to start. And that first song starts, it's like, pop, pop, pop. You know, we start singing. And I look behind me at, I got 24 people. I've like drove into town with. Plus, we're in the 30s when you count the people that I've flown in to help make this thing event. There's 19 kids in the crowd, everybody, 19 kids. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm fired. Like, this is over. Like, this, I, like I, 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 I'm in trouble. Like, this is not gonna go well for me. And it, it wasn't just that there was only 19 kids. I, I had decided that one of the ways that I was going to not spend money was to save by having a guy who, I didn't really know, come in and do lights and sound for me. <laughs> and uh, I got up to preach. And while I'm preaching first night and two-day conference, 19 kids, 24 interns, eight different people we've flown in. 
and he has a light problem where there's suddenly gobos, like lights, like the, the moon and the stars are suddenly going and flashing around my head as I'm preaching to an empty room and people are laughing. And then me in all of my unspiritual <laughs> flesh, I start getting angry at the people that are laughing, <laughs> which this is not the spirit-filled life, everybody. I mean, just like, <laughs> whoa. And I just remember, <laughs> I remember going up to my room and literally thinking, this is the end for me. Like, I just wanna quit. <laughs> like, I wanna quit now. And then it became a joke back at the church I, I, about the word Phoenix became a joke about how, what kind of what failure looked like. Well, there's always David and Phoenix. So whenever anything would go bad, then the guys on staff would be like, well, there's, at least it's not as bad as David and Phoenix, you know, like, and I just remember being like, this is a dark day. This is, this is not going how I expected. And it, that's kind of silly, but, but I think for all of us, we've gone through seasons where you imagine something, maybe it was in your 20s or a little bit, a little bit different expectation in your 50s or, or you can pick the season, you can pick the, the time, but just didn't, it didn't quite turn out and it's, it's hard. And I want us to talk today by looking at Philippians chapter one on how, how to have joy through hard seasons. Like how, like, like I know that I should and I've heard that phrase and might even know the idea of joy in suffering joy and hardship, possessing joy when things are hard or different than I expected. But when we look at Philippians chapter one, we really see just some, just some ideas that Paul speaks. And this, this chapter is so, so rich. You've got Paul, and I just want you to imagine for Paul, as he's writing to the church in Philippi that he started, you can imagine what his expectation was. Like 10 to 12 years later, he's thinking he's gonna be writing from a stage, not from a prison cell. He's got in his head for sure that he, I mean, he's been called by Jesus himself. I mean, Acts chapter nine, Jesus appears to him. He is the apostle. He's the called one. I mean, he's been given this commission. And then to try to kind of untangle the logic of how I'm in a prison cell. And you can imagine, so for him, he would be, chained to a prison guard, they would take shifts where they would rotate being chained to Paul. So he never has privacy. And of course, it's nothing compared to our prison system today. He, he doesn't know if he's gonna die in there. He doesn't know how long he's gonna be in there. It, 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 it's just, it's miserable. And you've got this calling and you've got this expectation and you've got this hope deferred, this, well, I thought, I thought things would turn out differently. And here I am in, in, in a sense, a form of torture. And his response to circumstance is mind-blowing. So there's a lot in the text. I want to just pick up in verse 12 because I want you to see how Paul, the one who probably thought he'd be receiving accolades, not chained to a Roman guard, Let's pick up in verse 12. I want you to see three ways that I see Paul enduring hardship and having joy in the midst of it. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, I just love that phrase, what has happened to me, because I want you to kind of fill in the blank on your hardship. What has happened 
to me? Or you put in there, what has happened to you? Of course, Paul's talking about prison. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What kind of perspective is that? And because of my chains, because of what's happened to me, because of the chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is rich. The first thing I want you to see is Paul's perspective. Paul sees with a Godward perspective. So the temptation is to see things with my perspective. I'm in prison, I'm in chains, my food's not right, the temperature's not right, that guy smells, this life is hard, I, I have hope deferred, I'm not in Rome, I'm, I, I, I'm not getting to do what I wanna do, I'm not geographically where I wanna be. And yet, instead of talking about me, he's talking about God. He's got a perspective, a Godward perspective. And he's talking about how God is at work. God is using him in the midst of this situation. And so in this story here, he's saying, because of my chains, because of this difficult thing that's taken place for me, and he talks about the positive. He talks about what's, what God is actually doing. It's a perspective shift. So he says, well, the whole palace guard has heard about Christ. So instead of saying, hey, the crowds of people haven't been able to hear because here I am and I'm not out doing what I want to do. Instead, his perspective is the bright side of, well, I have access to people I'm not sure I would have had access to. And so now everybody in the palace guard is hearing about Christ. So there are people that wouldn't have heard. Well, Paul, maybe you should talk about Oh, all the people that you think you could be preaching to in Rome? Nope. Nope, he's just, he's focused on, hey, here is the present tense activity of what God is doing in the midst of my chains. In the midst of my chains, in the midst of my prison cell, here is what God is doing. Hey, there, I, have, I have access, and I'm telling people in the whole prison guard they've heard about Jesus. And then he brings up a second one where he says, and there are saints or believers that are now bold because of my chains. So since Jesus is real, and my testimony is that Jesus is real, when I went into persecution, if I didn't believe that Jesus is real or Jesus wasn't worth it, then I would have backed out. But because I've held the line, it has helped other people to buy in with boldness like my boldness. And so he's talking about access to people and other people that have come to faith in the prison guard, find out because of him. And he's talking about boldness of other Christians as a result of what has happened to me, this thing, this, this prison that has happened to me. And this is very different than our entrepreneurial, happy, go pursue the, the, the things you want culture. And so this is a challenging way to live. But Paul talks this way. He talks about this perspective. And I want you to, even today, just ask God, God, what's your perspective on my current hardship? Like take the time to ask him, all right? Maybe I had expected one thing. This is kind of the current thing. God, what, what's your perspective? Help me to see like you see. Help me, to, help me to get God's perspective, God's activity. 
What is God at work in right now? Or what is the possibility of where God could be at work, even though it's a little bit different than maybe you had thought? Maybe you're like Paul and it's, it's, it's a challenging season. It's a hard season, not quite like you had hoped. I love the way that the message said it this way. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. He's saying, there's, 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 there's God at work and, and people are coming to know him. And because of my courage, because of my boldness, courage is contagious. And now others are growing bold as a result of my courage in the midst of a prison cell with chains. And so Paul's got this perspective and he's kind of got this idea about Christ, not that Christ is gonna make life easier, but that Christ is worth dying for. And so in our culture, that's challenging because most people want some kind of religious idea that will make life easier. And that's different than what we're reading from Paul. He's talking about not life getting a little bit more fun or easier. It's a message of the worth of Christ. It's, it's worth it. And so here I am in chains, but Jesus, Jesus is worth it. And so I want, I want us to just think about if you're Paul and your season and try to apply it in your life because how, how, how do I get this? How, how can, I, can I get that perspective? I think a real easy practical thing for you to do is just spend time with God getting his perspective. I think sometimes we, when, when people will talk with a God perspective, we'll, we'll kind of get a little bit cynical and think that they're not realists, that they're not, that they're not thinking logically and realistically. But if we read Paul, even in Philippians 4, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And so what we're really saying is, hey, uh, well, they're just not as worried as I am. (laughs) And I think that one of the best ways that we can grow in getting God's perspective over your circumstance so that you can have joy in the midst of whatever challenge you face is get alone with God and say, God, how do you see this? God, help me to actually be able to verbalize, not just categorically, not just be like, well, I'm sure that God is at work somehow. And okay, I try, well, a little bit more than that. Get to where you could say it. This boss drives me crazy. Okay, God, where are you at work? God, help me be able to articulate back to you, my God and my closest friend, the activity. Let me be able to see, let me be able to say it to say, here is God at work. Here is God at work. And when you're able to say, this is where God is at work, well, it changes everything. So we're less focused on our pain and we're more focused on God in the midst of our pain. And so the focus on God, the the talking about God activity helps us walk with joy because you can't see like, like God sees. So the best thing that you can get is just little pieces of revelation. God, help me. Open up my eyes. Let let me just see. Let me see God at work in what feels like a hard season, a prison cell. In in this season where things did not turn out, things are not going the way I thought. This is, when I I was a little kid, um, my sisters, 
God, have you ever heard of embroidering? I had never really heard of it until I was a kid when I was a kid. Embroidering. All right, well, on em- embroidering, um, it's a hard word to say. Uh, if you flip over one side, it looks like a mess, right? It looks like you can't tell what it is. But then when you flip it over, then you can see, you can see the good picture, right? Okay? Only 1% of the crowd today has a clue what I'm talking about. Um, but that 1% is like, yes, now I get it. All right? It's, it's <laughs> maybe. It's that idea. It's this. It's, it's we only see the backside. We can only see the mess. We can't see it all. You, you're, you're not omniscient. You, you don't know everything. But one day you'll be able to see more of how God sees. And the more that you can see the front, the more that you can try to get around and just see a little bit more of what God is doing, the more confident you'll have that he is at work even though you can't see the finished product. And Paul couldn't see the finished product. I mean, here's Paul. I mean, imagine imagine the, the, the prisoners that are chained to Paul and Paul's writing, singing, praying, evangelizing to every one of the Roman guards on their shift. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they loved Paul. I don't know if Paul annoyed them. I have, I have no clue. But for Paul, as he's sitting there and writing, he, he has no way to know that this little letter that he's going to write to the church they started back in Philippi, that place, you remember the story with him and Silas where they were singing and all of a sudden the earthquake came and they were all set free and that that town that time and he's just writing his friends he's just writing those people that he knows and he loves and he's filled with joys he writes to him and boom well you know what book of philippians has turned out to be a pretty big hit like he he, he but he couldn't see he couldn't he, he he couldn't see all of it but he had some joy because he was saying well here's what i know i can't see all of it but i can see well the prison guard starting to hear about jesus well, Christians are, are getting more bold as a result of my chains. And so first thing that we get as we, want, as we want to grow in joy is get some of God's perspective. God, help me see like you see. Let me be able to articulate the ministry of God. I let this be about how the gospel is advancing in my hardship through my hard times as opposed to just my own comfort. Yes, my comfort isn't going like I expected. Yes, things aren't quite like I had wanted. But God, surely you are at work. Because he is. He's always at work. Paul says in Romans 8, he's at work for your good. All right, let's keep going. We're going to read a little bit more. It is true, he says, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, but not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Come on. He's just like, let's, let's keep this thing moving forward. And because of this, I rejoice. Then he emphatically comes around again in verse 19, and he says, rejoice a second time. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So there's so many things here. I'm going to just do one perspective too. I want, I, want to, I want to hit on this one. He's saying, your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit are fueling me through the midst of this. My, and he's, he's giving credit towards their prayers. Your prayers for me and the work of the Holy Spirit, God at work. In other words, it's supernatural activity in the midst of the prison cell. 
One, I got God's eyes. I, I mean, I'm starting to open up to where I can see a little bit more of what God is doing. That's how I have joy in the midst of the prison cell. But two, your prayers are fueling me in the midst of this hardship. And Paul's always asking people to pray for him. It's just, it's funny because in church world, it's like it's, it's like it's cute, especially if you grew up in church, you know, it's like, how can I pray for you? Pray for me. But this is, this is, that's not Paul. Paul's like, pray for me. I need it. I want it. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers matter. When you pray, God helps me. And so I've got a big conviction that I need you on your face for me to accomplish what God's called me to accomplish. And so I've got a whole nother sermon I'm not going to do on this, <laughs> except for a few. Ephesians 6, he says it. He says, pray also for me. That's my favorite. Pray also for me that I would speak the word of God boldly. He says it, Colossians 4.3, and pray for us. First Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, pray for us. I can take you through a lot, but I just want you to just get just a little taste test of when we read Paul. He's always saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. So radiant culture is not uh, kind of bashful about praying for each other. It is, mm, I mean, every Wednesday night, we are like praying for each other because there's this conviction that when we pray, God does stuff. Because Paul had that conviction. It was there's supernatural activity that takes place as a volunteer, as a result of the voluntary prayers of the saints. So <laughs> Paul's going, come on, pray for me. I want, I want more of it. All right, third one is this, and this is the meat. This is the, and this is the famous text, all right? This is the one that is on every coffee cup, right? Here we go. And Philippians is full of coffee cup theology. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I'm telling you, if you're going to get coffee cups, do Philippians, because this is amazing. All right, verse 20 says this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I mean, just, how do you even, I mean, wow. And then this is it. This is the one that we know. For me, to, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am to go on, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean, here's this phrase, fruitful labor for me. Yeah, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. All right, this is meaty. This is rich. This is a 10-week series. Just, it'll be four. But anyway, this is, <laughs> this is a lot right here. And I think this is kind of funny because when I read this, I mean, I just read it over and over again. And I'm just thinking, this is, I kind of feel like Paul's talking to himself. Like he's, oh, is it, it's better for, for me, to, better for you if I stay. It, uh, it's this, but it's this monologue of clarity of why I exist. And so first perspective, second is power in prayer. But the third piece of joy in the midst of whatever trial, joy in the midst of whatever prison cell is this purpose right here. I mean, Paul has such clarity 
where he says, I love Jesus so much. And here I am in the prison cell, chained to the guard. And this is hard. And I would much rather go and be with Jesus. I I mean, and he's just, ah, it's better by far to go be with him. Why would I stay? It will be fruitful labor for, here's why I stay. And he says, it's for you. It's for people. It's because I have purpose. It's because I have a mission. It's because Jesus told me to go proclaim the gospel. It's because there will be an eternity where I will rest, be with him, worship, know him. I'll be with him in eternity. But right now, I have a commission. Right now, I've got a calling. Right now, I have a task. Right now, I have something that God has for me to do. And so, all right, man, better by far to go be with him. But for you, for the sake uh, of people, well, I stay. I just, I want you to catch it. He's going, listen, if I live, it's about Jesus. It's about the mission he's called me to do. If I die, it's gain because I'm with Jesus. Either way, either way, it's all about Jesus. But since I have been given this commission, I press on. I stay in this prison cell. I preach to whoever God's called me to. I have a purpose. And I just want to ask you this question today for you. If, you were to, if we were to say to live is, and you were to fill in that blank, what, what do we got to do to get to where Paul's confession is ours? To live is Christ. Because I think it's easy to say, man, to live is fun. To live is blue skies and baseball. To live is swim pools and and soccer games and football games and vacations. To live is fill in the blank of what is the overwhelming passion. To live is fun. To live is stuff. To live is the right, the right clothes, the right house, the right motorcycle, the right, I don't know, the right stuff, at least the right insurance. <laughs> to live is... No, we have all those things just kind of put in our, in our face. To live is success. To live is applause. To live is to get the promotion. To live is to feel accomplished. To, to live is, and anyone will do whatever he can to get you to fill in that blank to something other than to live is Christ. To live is Jesus is my overarching, all-consuming passion. And so to live is Christ. And when we get that, when we get, okay, to live as Christ and we want to be with him, we want to get his perspective and we want to know him. And we say, all right, and I've got one life to make a dent. I've got one life to reach as many as possible. I've got one life to discover my purpose so that I can go, we call around here, make a difference so that I can help people. Paul's going, I have been called. I am not going right now. My aim is not fun. My aim is not stuff. My aim is not applause. My aim, (laughs) my aim, I mean, the very center of the target is this, 
to live as Christ, to die as gain. That means, that means fruitful. So as a result of verse 21, to live as Christ and to die as gain, he says, that means fruitful labor for me. So just ask yourself the question, what is that passion that you have for Jesus, that love for God, how is it playing out in fruitful labor? Like, what are you doing? Like, what has he called you to do? Like, what is it? Like, what's that piece? God, help me disciple teenagers. Oh, God, I want, I want to discover the way to help people. You fill in the blank. I want, to, I want to disciple. I want to help the poor. I want to make sure that every tongue, tribe, and nation worships. I'm, I, I want to be a part of something. I want, to be a, I want there to be some labor that I'm a part of because I've got one shot. And that's the way Paul's talking. He's talking about labor. Oh, no. No, 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 David. Don't talk about labor. Just talk about pray a simple prayer. Get my soul locked in the vault of heaven and marinate on planet Earth until I die. That's just not what we read. We've got something in Paul that's going, no, it's fruitful labor for me. And so I press on. I have a calling. And so like Paul, you have a calling. It's not just Paul, it's you. And I just want to invite you, take those steps. All right, I'm going to discover what it is. Uh, my, Jesus is my passion. And so as a result of that, there is going to be in my life some, it's, and, and honestly, it, that vision will cost you. That vision won't probably be easy. And you might get a less, little less blue skies and baseball. But when you open up your heart before God, you will say, worth it, worth it. Ah, to live is Christ. What do you want me to do? What is, my, what is the labor you've called me to do? And then the, just the last verse I wanna hit on before I close today is this last one, verse 27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a man, in a, yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh, that's pressure right there. Like I, was, I was wrestling with that this week and I was thinking, I don't, I don't know that any of us could ever live up to that. But I want you to catch the spirit of it. It's this idea of the gospel is such a big gift. It's such a big gift that you should live in a manner worthy of the big gift. Like this, what Jesus did for you is so significant. Don't respond in smallness. Respond like it's big. It's the big, so the depth, the weight, the amazement of the big gift of the gospel caused me to live a life, a manner worthy that to the best that I can because he laid down his life, I lay down mine. Because he is awesome, I choose to follow. I will engage in maybe fruitful labor to accomplish the mission that he has for his church. And sometimes I think that we get a big gift, but we respond small. Like it's a big gift, but we don't respond in a manner worthy because we just, we've been, we've, I mean, we were, we've grown up in church. We were discipled by vegetables. We just, it's just, it's not even... <laughs> It's just, I don't know, it's just a part of our lives. And, 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 and I want you to just, cat, just start to just catch in your heart. Okay, God, what, what is the manner, what is that you've called me to? How do I respond 
in a manner worthy of the gospel. When Renata and I got engaged, uh, we had a, an, a what do you call those? Uh, an engagement, sh uh, a wedding shower. Um, <laughs> sorry, engagement party or is for a shower? Um, it's a weird word, but anyway. Um, and and so this guy, he 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 and his wife gave us these gifts and. Uh, he he was had been friends with my family. He owned his own uh, wood shop, and he would often make things in his wood shop. And so um, I opened up this gift, and it was four uh, what I thought were like four wooden bowls that he had made. And so you open it up, and it's wooden bowls. And so when the wood shop guy gives you wooden bowls, I just instantly thought he made wooden bowls for us. And I don't know why. But I just had this dramatic, like, oh. I know you're like, you dramatic, huh? I mean, I just was like, I mean, I got all teary up and I was like, thank you. This is amazing. And even Renata was like, and, and I was like, this is incredible. And he, he got embarrassed. His wife kind of looked away. He looked at the ground like, okay, this is a little bit dramatic. But I just thought, Man, I mean, so in front of everybody, I was like, I was throwing out thank yous. Thank you so much. It was like, ah, oh, oh, it's amazing. And I'm just thinking, oh, think of the time it took him. I mean, four bowls, like, you know, like amazing. And Renata and I got in the car and we drove and we started to unpack the gifts. And I was so excited about these bowls. And so I went to pull them out and look in the box at the bowls and I flipped it over and there was a Target sticker that said $4.99. <laughs> Which meant it wasn't a big gift. It cost him, I don't know, what, 20 bucks. I was treating it like it took him days. So my response was big. <laughs> but the gift was actually pretty small. Right? It's always good to have your response match the measure of the gift, right? Like I did have a big response when we went to plant this church and I got a phone call that said, hey, we got a youth conference down here in Birmingham. We want to take an offering for you guys. And so 12,000 teenagers are going to take up an offering for the little church plant in Kansas City called Radiant Church. You know what I did? I cried. But you know why I cried? Because that was a big gift. I was like FaceTiming. Thank you. You're amazing. Bless you, love. That was big response to big gift. Here's the reality. We've been given the biggest gift. The only response is, ah, I want to live a life in a manner that is worthy. I've got one shot. I don't want to waste it. God, to live stuff. It's not vacation. It's not popularity. To live is Christ's. Let me live in a manner worthy. And you get that inside of you. You get a little bit of Jesus perspective. You get supernatural prayer going on on the inside. So you've got supernatural power. And you've got a purpose of a calling that you just can't deny. And you go, all right, whatever my circumstance will be will not dictate the quality of my life because I'm living for something, someone so much.
much bigger. Amen? Let's stand on our feet and pray together. Father, we love you today. I want to just ask you guys, if you would, would you just ask the Lord, God, Holy Spirit, what are, you, what, are you, what are you encouraging me with? What are you saying to me? Just ask the Holy Spirit just right now. What's the takeaway for you? One idea. One thing. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to live with joy in all circumstance because we're so rooted in Jesus. We want to see like he sees. We want the, we want the work of God in our midst. And we want to be about his plan, his purposes, God. So we just say, come, help us, God. Do a fresh work in your people. Strengthen with might in the inner man. Christ followers in the room that have decided, I will follow Jesus. Just today, give strength. Just today, be at work. If you would like to follow Jesus, we'd like to connect with you on your journey. Email us at follow at radianchurchkc.com. If this ministry has encouraged you, we'd love to hear your story. Email us at mystory@radianchurchkc.com. If you'd like to invest in Radiant Church, please click Give on our website, radianchurchkc.com. Are you a young adult and interested in spending a year in Kansas City at Radiant Church? Check out radiantintensive.com. Thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast.